there. <laughs> good morning, everyone. It's good to have you. Uh, for those of you that ventured out here today and braved it, thank you for doing that. And for the many of you that are watching us online, uh, we welcome you here. Uh, welcome to the chapel at Warren Valley. And if you want more information about our church, please go to our website, thechapelnj.org. O-R-G, thechapelnj.org. We may be few in number here in the sanctuary, but uh, we're two or more gathered in our name, in God's name. Uh, There God is in the midst. So we're looking forward to a worship time. We have our worship team here today, and I'll be going through Genesis chapter 10, uh, Lord willing, this morning. As I open, uh, I'd like to read the psalm, Psalm 13 to you goes this way. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day long? How long shall my enemies be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. I love that psalm because that psalm, uh, the psalmist cries out to God in his pain. It's one of the first things that we need to do. And as I look at this prayer list and the struggles that we have here in the church, there are a number of people that are going through significant trials and we are called to cry out to God in pain. But then you'll see that he um, called out to God in prayer. He took his, pay, his prayers in his pain vertically, which we desperately need to do. When we come into the worship service, whether you're worshiping with us here or you're with at home, I'm praying that you are going to take your pain vertically in prayer to God. Lift your prayer requests to him because he is the God who hears and knows. But then he concludes with praise, which is so important to us that, you know, we have pain, we go to prayer but there's praise that we can have. When we do that, it changes radically our perspective. So I pray that as we come into this worship service this morning, whatever pain you're going through, bring it to God in prayer, and then let God be hearing your praises in your songs, in your words, your attitudes, your actions. Lift him up, make him big. Would you pray with me? Father, as we um, begin this worship service, uh, there are so many people, spoken and unspoken, that are going through significant trials and pains in their lives. Uh, some of the pains are, are physical, Father. The, the difficulties, the diseases, the, the viruses, the things that um, take over our bodies at times. Lord, I thank you that here in the States we have uh, medical doctors and medical intuition, Father, that is there available. And I pray for wisdom for the doctors, for each person that is going through their trials. I pray for strength for their bodies. I pray that you would remind them that you're the God of all grace. And Lord, for some of us, we're going through a mental or emotional trial. Some of us are going through a relational trial. Some of us are going through financial trials. I don't know what the trial is, the pain. And Father, sometimes it is that we think that you've forgotten us or you've forsaken us. I pray that we would turn those things to you in prayer. I pray that as we begin the service that we would be lifting our prayers to you because you're a God who hears us and then you're a God who cares. And Lord, I pray today that you would hear our praise, praise from the depth of our heart to worship you, your son, your spirit, by your grace and for your glory. So, Father, do a work in us and then work through us by your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you uh, stand and worship with us this morning? salvation come all who hear 
now to his temple draw near join me in glad adoration praise to the lord above all things so wondrously reigning sheltering you and sustaining have you not seen all that is needful has been sent by his gracious ordaining praise to the lord who will prosper your work and defend you goodness and mercy shall daily attend you. Ponder anew what the Almighty can do, if with His love He befriends you. of sin and sadness drive the dark of doubt away giver of immortal gladness fill us with the light of day praise to the lord let all that is in me adore him all that hath life and breath come now with praises before him let the amen sound from his people again gladly forever adore him let the amen sound from his people again gladly forever Your great name, hungry 
souls receive grace at the sound of your great name the fatherless they find their rest at the sound of your great name the sick are healed and the dead are raised at the sound of your great name jesus worthy is the lamb that was slain for us the son of god and man you are high and lifted up and all the Son of God and man, you are high and lifted up, and all the world will praise your great name, Jesus. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain for us. The Son of God and man, you are high and lifted up, and all the world will praise your great name. Then on the third 
The Son of Heaven rose again. Oh, trample death, where is your sting? The angels roar for Christ the King. Oh, praise the name of the Father, we come before you right now and we thank you. We praise you because your name is worthy to be praised. You are worthy to be praised. We praise the name of the Lord, our God. I praise you for the fact that we have a personal relationship with you in Christ. You're our God. You knew us from before this world was ever created. You had planned us, Lord. You planned this morning, you planned each person that was here before eternity, before the world had even begun. I thank you for the fact that your son came here to live for us. I thank you for your, the fact that your son came here to die for us. I pray that we would praise him for all of eternity. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes today as we hear your word. I pray that we would hear your word spoken to us, Father. I pray that we would see what it is that you have for us. I pray that we would apply those truths in our lives. Father, I pray that you would help us to be a beacon of light to a lost and a dark world. And Lord, I pray that you would fill us with your spirit, continue to change us so that we look more and more like your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we reflect him in the way we think, in the way we speak, in the way we act. And Lord, thank you. I thank you for the fact that sin is great, your grace is even greater. 
Though the power of this world is great, your power is greater. So Lord, fill us with your power, fill us with your wisdom, fill us with your presence today. In Jesus' matchless, holy and powerful name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to be looking at uh, a passage in Genesis chapter 8, um, chapter 10, Genesis chapter 10. Uh, And one of the things I do appreciate about this church is the fact that we preach expositionally. We go from one verse after another after another. when we tackle books or when we tackle sections, we go one verse after another. There are a number of churches that will go from one topic to another topic, and it, as it fancies the pastor. Um, but what we want to see is what God has for us. And as you know, we've been working through Genesis chapter 1 through, um, at this point, uh, verse chapter 10. Now, as we come to chapter 10, you're probably going to sit there and say, why are we going to preach on a seeming genealogy. Well, I'll tell you, there's many reasons why. There's some really good reasons. Before I get to that passage in Genesis 10, I I wanna read a couple of passages from uh, the Old and New Testament. In Psalm 19, it says this about the law, the word. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect, verse seven, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them, there is great reward. As the psalmist is writing here, he, he starts by, if you read the first part of the chapter, he's talking about creation is a revelation of God's glory. And then he gets to this section where he says that scripture is a revelation of God's glory. It is a blessing that God has given us to reveal who he is and who we are. So it is so vitally important that we read his word. And, and the New Testament, a very familiar passage to you in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, at verse 16, it says this, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for reproof, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Once again, he's not saying parts of scripture are good. He is saying all scripture is there to teach us, to reprove us, or to tell us that we're off track, to get us on track and make sure that we're on track, and then to live a God-honoring life. So if we're going to grow in Christ-likeness, we need to know the word. So why, as you go back to Genesis chapter 10, why does God put genealogies in place in scripture? I think one of the reasons why he does that is that he wants you to know that there is a history behind what he's doing. He is the God of history. And I'm going to probably mangle a number of these names this morning. Bear with me. Um, But as we go through this, I want you to think about this. Even if I mangle their names, they were real people. Just like I'm looking at real people here, they were real people lived in a real time, had real thoughts, had real words, had real actions, and had to determine whether they were going to submit to the sovereign God of this universe. These were real people. So as you do your reading through the Bible, um, and you get to the point where you really think about skipping the genealogies, what I would encourage you to do is this. When you read them, don't skip them, read them. And when you read them, I want you to think about the fact that just like I have a name, James, these people had a name because they were real people. And that God in his sovereignty said that this is important because I want you to know this is not a fantasy that I'm giving you in these 66 books. These are real things that have happened in history. I find it also interesting, I won't turn there, but if, if when we see the beginning of Jesus' life here on earth, the human Jesus here on earth, what do we have in, in Matthew and Luke? We have his genealogies. And God says that I want you to know that history is important and I'm the God of history. 
So let's look here in Genesis chapter 10 and remind yourself of where we've come. We've, we've come from Genesis 1 where God has created everything. And then in Genesis 2, he goes into a microcosm where he shows you that he has created man and woman and husband and wife and brought them together. I mean, we see the fall in Genesis chapter 3 and all the, the struggles that have come out of that relationship, that broken relationship between God and others. And then fall and then right after that in Genesis 4 we see the fact of Cain and Abel and the destruction of Cain and Abel and then we see this spread of sin in Genesis 5 we have one of the first genealogies that comes out in this book and then we get to Genesis 6, 7, 8 and 9 we talk about Noah and Noah's family and that sin has spread across this world and that every intention and every desire of their hearts are sinful continually, that the sin is just so rampant that is happening within. And then we see the destruction that comes out through God's judgment. And that God's judgment has destroyed every living creature except for a small family and several animals that are on ark. And now, as that ark has come to rest, now what is happening is that God has ordained that all of us would spring from three sons. Noah had three sons, and every single person that I'm looking at in this room is a family member of those three sons. And so this is going to be really important as we think down and look at this passage. Let's look at Genesis chapter 10, verse 1. These are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Both sons were born to him after the flood. So what, what we see here is that he begins by saying that these are the three sons of Noah that were there in the ark, and now the sons that are going to come after this are the sons that are going to be born, the descendants of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, other places, we have Japheth's name coming in a different order, but what he does in this chapter is this, just to give you a big overview in the chapter, he starts with this, uh, the descendants of Japheth, number one, then he goes to the uh, descendants of Ham, number two, and then he will go to the descendants of Shem. Part of the reason is this, the sons of Japheth, I'm going to tell you a little about, about where they settled, they settled furthest away from the nation of Israel at the time. The ones that were closer, the sons of Ham, were the ones that they were going to have great conflict with over the years, and the sons of Shem are where we get the nation of Israel from. Now, the sons of Japheth are... Uh, found here in verse 2. It says, The sons of Japheth, Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshach, and Tyrus. And so we have these sons uh, from Japheth, and the sons of Japheth settled in a number of different regions. Uh, the sons of Japheth figured out the Indo-European um, people that we have, people that are in India and also in Western Europe. They also make up the Germanic people that we have. We have those that will settle in the far north of Europe and the sun and people in India as well. And also ancient, ancient Greeks are going to be parts of the sons of Japheth. Now he talks about the sons of Gomer here and the sons of Gomer are going to settle in the Fertile Crescent the Armenians as well are going to be part of that nation. Then he talks about these sons of Javan. The sons of Javan are going to find themselves in Cyprus, Rhodes, Germany, Moscow, and those other places. So they're settling furthest away. I should probably tell you this, that who is the writer of Genesis? Does anyone know? Moses. Moses wrote the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. When he is writing this, he is writing to the nation of Israel as they have been removed from Egypt and they are in the wilderness and they are now going into the promised land. So you need to keep in mind that that's where he's writing. He's writing to these people and he's writing back to their history and he's writing back to their history of creation and the breakdown of humanity and also the spread of the nation. So as he's looking, he's listing people that have not occurred yet in this time initially in the book of Genesis, but they have occurred in the life of the Israelites that have left Egypt. And so as they're hearing these names, some of these names sound 
foreign to you, but these are names that would be people that they would say, yes, these people groups. So he goes to the sons of Japheth. Now, this, the, the shortest, this is the shortest section. Uh, Japheth, let me see if there's anything else. Modern Turkey, um, Russian. Uh, Russia, if you want to put in your notes, Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39, some of the things that may happen in the end times all kind of connect to these sons of Japheth. Now we go to the sons of Ham. The sons of Ham pick up in verse 6. Cush, Egypt, put and Canaan. Now, some of those names sound very familiar to you. And as these sons of, Asia, as sons of Ham are there, what we find is that these are people that would settle in Africa and the Far East. And these sons of Cush, and we'll talk a little bit more about Cush, Cush apparently divided. There were two divisions that would occur, and one of them would settle in Babylon, Nimrod, we'll talk about him in a moment, and others would be founded in Ethiopia. And so these, these two branches would occur here. And so we have Cush, Mizram, Put, and Canaan. And these, these four sons are going to be there. Now let's talk about Cush a little bit. Uh, Cush begat Nimrod. Now you probably have heard the name Nimrod before. And Nimrod, actually the way we interpret it today is like this person is clueless. Um, but Nimrod in the biblical sense is a man that is a warrior. Let's keep reading here. The sons of Cush are Seba, Havilah, Sapta, Rahama, and Saptaka. The sons of Rama are Sheba and Dedan. Cush fathered Nimrod, he was first on the earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. And so we have this man, Nimrod, and Nimrod is not a, well, I mean, I guess he is. It says that he is a mighty man before the Lord, a mighty hunter. And when you think of hunter, you're probably thinking of wild animals, and he bags game. But that's not uh, what we're seeing here. This is a man who is a hunter of men. He is an oppressor. He is a power-hungry man. Uh, James Boyce in his commentary said, uh, this is not talking about Nimrod's ability to hunt wild game. He's rather a hunt, he's not a hunter of animals. He was a hunter of man, uh, a man, a warrior. It is through his ability to fight and kill and to rule ruthlessly that his kingdom of the Euphratite um, Valley cities, states, was consolidated. So he is this great fighter. He is an offense. And he is not, and says that he is a great fighter before the Lord and would give the impression that God is happy with the kind of fighting he's doing. He's not. He is a utter offense in the face of the Lord as he is hurting and harming people. That's Nimrod. He acquired power. He used tyranny. He used oppression. He attacked. The sons of Mizram um, are going to be Ludim, Admin, Lehabin, Naphtahim, Pathrizim, Kalashim, <laughs> and those are going to make up the Philistine uh, people. And then he's going to go into the sons of Canaan. And the sons of Canaan are going to be born Sidon, his firstborn, Heath, Jebusite, Amorites, Girgashites, Hivites, Arcanites, Sinites, and some of those names sound very familiar to you if you are familiar with uh, Bible times. One, one thing I should say in this chapter is this. Unlike the genealogies that we have seen before, the genealogies we saw before is that you would see, you would have a person's name. It would say that they lived this number of years. They fathered a son. Then they lived again for a number of years. They had other children and sons and daughters, and then they died. If you remember, those were the genealogies. The genealogies here, this is not really a genealogy. It's more like a, what we call a table of nations. It is how the nations spread out from these three, three sons. And so that's why you don't have how long they lived, and you don't have the multiple children. You will have a certain number of children that is spoken of here. And so when we look at this, I want you to consider that it is people that he's talking about, persons as well, a number of people, and then it is places. So it's an individual person. It's people groups, and it's places that they go to. That's exactly what he's looking for in this chapter. Not as much how many years they lived, how many children they had, and then when they died. 
Okay. And so now what he's done is he's gone through this, and let's look at verse uh, 10. Um, the beginning of his kingdom, going back to Nimrod, was Babel. You remember that one? We'll get that in a moment. Um, he'll talk about the land of Sinar. In the land he went into Assyria, another name familiar to us, and built Nineveh, another name very familiar to us, uh, Reboth, Ir, Kala, Rezin, between Nineveh and Kala, this great city. Egypt fathered Ludum, Anmon, Libyam, I had read those names to you already. So I want you to consider this. Some of the names of these people groups and these places you have already heard from. And so as the nation of Israel is out of Egypt and through the desert and going into the promised land, they are looking and they're hearing these names and they're saying, I could see where they came from. These were all sons of Ham. Or these people groups that we, we've heard about in distant places, those are sons of Japheth. And then we go to the descendants of Shem. He says Canaan uh, fathered Sidon, his firstborn of Heath, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Arcanites, the Sinites, the Arvidites, the Zemorites, the Hathmahites. Afterwards, the clans of the Canaanites dispersed. And the territory of the Canaanites extended from Sidon to the direction of Gur, as far as Gaza, another name very familiar to you, in the direction of Sodom and Gomorrah, another name very familiar to you, Adma, Zobium, as far as Lasha, and the sons of Ham by their clans and their languages and their lands and their nations. I, I skipped this before, but if you go back to verse 5, he used the same um, ending after he got to the um, listing of the sons of Japheth. He talked about their lands, he talked about their languages, he talked about their clans, and then he talked about their nations. Those were the four elements. So you will see that he did that at the end of verse 5. He will do that again here at the end of verse 20. He will say that the sons of Ham, by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. Once again, this is not as much a genealogy as it is a table of nations, a spread of the nations into the world. So he starts with the sons of Japheth because they are furthest away and they have the least to do with the nation of Israel. Then he goes to those people groups that are closest to the nation of Israel, and you know their names because as you read the Old Testament, you will find that these are people that have attacked the nation of Israel over and over again in the Old Testament times. So these names, as you heard them, you're saying, oh, I've heard that, I've heard that, because these were the people that were attacking the nation of Israel. I should say one other thing about this people group before we go on to the sons of Shem. This people group were full of power and full of um, oppression. They got their power by oppressing the nation of Israel and other nations around them. They were conquering nations. These were godless people who spent all their time trying to build wealth and attacking other people and hurting and harming them. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 73, and it kind of reminded me of this section of those type of people that were attacking. And in Psalm 73, the psalmist is really concerned because he just doesn't understand, it doesn't make sense to him, why it seems that people of this world that are attacking God and attacking God's people seem to be flourishing, and God's people seem to be in trouble. He says this in Psalm 73, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my heart, my feet had almost stumbled, my slip, steps had almost slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw their prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble like others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. Their pride is like their necklace and violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness and their hearts overflow with folly. They scoff and they speak with malice. Loftily they threaten oppression, oppression. They set their mouths against heaven and their tongues struck through the earth. Therefore, his people, God's people, turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the most, God, uh, most high? The, you know, they're so arrogant in their attack. Behold, these are the wicked. Always at ease, they increase in riches. 
the psalmist in Psalm 73 is almost looking at these people, these oppressive people, these power-hungry people that have attacked the nation over and over again, and he's saying, God, I just don't understand why you're allowing it. And then he says this, all in vain have I kept my heart clean, I've washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I've been stricken, rebuked, every morning. And if I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed a generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. And I discerned their end. Truly, you set them on a slippery slope. You make them fall into ruin. How they're destroyed at a moment, swept away utterly by terrors, like a dream when one awakes. Oh, Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my heart was embittered, my soul was embittered, I was pricked in heart. I was brutish and ignorant to you. I was like a beast. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you will receive me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So what what happens is this, as you look at the world, and maybe you're feeling this even today, the the distant lands you don't tend to care about, but then there are lands that are close to us that seem to be attacking us over and over again, and they seem to be prospering against us, and you sometimes wonder, why God? Why are you allowing it? Well, Moses is writing this and saying that these people are going to attack you. These people are going to hurt and harm you, but they will not ultimately succeed. You need to go back into the sanctuary and get a big vision of a big God, that this big God is sovereignly in control of everything. Whether it's the Japhethites that are way far away or the Hamites that are close to you that are attacking you, I want you to know that I am a sovereign God over every element. When you go into the sanctuary and you get a vision of a big God, you will see that he is the God over all the nations. The nations seem powerful today. Those seem to be oppressors today, but they are not greater than the God who is with you. So, the sons of Japheth, the sons of Ham. Then we go to the sons of Shem. The sons of Shem pick up in verse 21. It says, to Shem also, the father of all the children of Eber. Let me stop there for a moment. It's interesting that the root word for Eber comes from the root name or the name Hebrew. That's where we get the root on the name Hebrew from. So the Hebrew people are going to come out of the sons of Shem. And it makes sense if he's going to lay out his listing of the nations. He's going to list the nations that are furthest away. Then he's going to list the nations that are closest that are giving you struggle. And then he's going to talk about your group, the nation of Israel. And so he says that the father of Eber, the elder brother of Japheth, there there is some question whether Japheth is the older brother or Shem is the older brother. It all comes down to your translations. My translation has him being the elder brother. Uh, The children were born, the sons of Shem, Elam, Asher, Arpashad, Lud, Aram, the sons of Aram, Uz, Hul, Jether, and Mash. Arpashad fathered Shelah, Shelah fathered Eber. To Eber were born two sons. The name of one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided. There's a question about whether there's a division. Um, There is a thought that lands were all together at one time and that there was this great earthquake that may have separated the lands. That's possible. It is also possible that he is connected to the next chapter that Pastor Doug will be preaching from um, in uh, the Tower of Babel. Not uh, completely sure. Uh, To Eber were born two sons. The name of one son was Peleg. In days his earth was divided. His brother's name was Joktan. Joktan fathered uh, Almadad, Sivlif, Hazarimath, Jera, uh, a list of the other ones as well. Uh, Uzzel, Dilla, uh, Dikla, Obel, Abiel, Sheba, Oprah, Havilah, Jobab, all were the sons of Joktan. The territory in which they lived extended to Mesha, in the direction of Sephir, and the hill countries of the east. 
the sons of Shem by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. These are people that are part of the um, Assyrian area, uh, Persian area that we would see, Arabia, uh, the Arabic people that we would have today. And then he ends this section by saying this. He says, uh, these are the clans of the sons of Noah according to their genealogies in their nations. And the nations that spread abroad from earth after the flood. Okay, so now we've done a quick overview of them. I want, I want you to consider some points that I think are really important. Uh, number one, we, we struggle today with this issue of diversity. And we're so divided today. And I should say this, that chapter 11 is chronologically going to happen before chapter 10, even though Moses decided in chapter 10, but before chapter 11. Next week, you're going to hear, Lord willing, about the Tower of Babel and the separation of the nations. This chapter is telling you about where those nations went. What Moses decided to do was to tell you the why before what happened. What happens in chapter 11, the separation of the nations, happens because of chapter 10, the why. That there are nations that have been spread across the world because God had ordained it. So there's this, this concept, this struggle that we have today about diversity. And we see ourselves as unique and different from one another. And one of the things that comes out to me as I read this chapter, and all those names that are hard to read, is the fact that we all came from three people. A son of Japheth, a son of Ham, or a son of Shem. And that's really important because as you start to think about all the people groups that are around this world, all the different languages that happen around this world, it is so important to remind yourself that we are all related. We're all connected. And so we are living in a world that wants to make us separate from one another, but the reality is, is that there is a oneness that happens. We came from one person, Adam and his three sons. After the, after the ark, and there is no other living person in this world except for those in the ark, every single person that I'm looking at is a byproduct of those people that were in the ark. We are under one person, Adam. Adam, our forefather. And we all connect to him. We all connect to Noah. And therefore we are all connected to one another. And I think part of this dilemma that we have in our world today is that we have this broken down vision of each other. We attack one another. We see each other as diverse. We break each other into races. And the reality is there is really only one race. There is a human race. We may look differently. We may speak differently. We may have different cultures, but we are part of the same family. What would that do if, if you and I made it important in our lives to look at every single people group in this world as distant family members. I find it interesting that when you think about diversity, especially the idea of race in this world, genetically, we are actually so much more in common than we may look externally. Uh, very honestly, it is like 0.2% difference between every single person that is sitting in this room genetically. That is why you can take a, uh, a liver or a heart or lungs from one person and put it into another person. Why is that? Because we are so genetically connected to one another. What looks different is the things on the outside. And that's just one chemical and that's melanin. And then for some of us, the chemical is heavier, and for some of us, the chemical is lighter. But every single person in this room has the same chemical in their bodies. And so if you could start to think about the fact that we have one forefather, Adam. We have come from one father, Noah, with his three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. And not only have we one Adam and one Noah, we have one Christ. 
I love this, Modi Bauckham talked about the idea of the fact that we are diverse, but we are brought together in the unity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ says that there is no separation any longer between the races, the ethnicities, the groups, because he brings us one in Christ. We are unified in Adam in the fact that we are sinners. We are unified in the fact that we are still sinners under Noah, but we are unified in the fact that our salvation comes from one person, Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord Jesus Christ lived and died and rose again for every group of people that is in this world. For everyone that will trust in him. It doesn't matter the shade. It doesn't matter your ethnicity. It doesn't matter your language. He came here to live a life for you, to die a death for you, and to rise victoriously for you. He writes this chapter as well, not only to attack the fact that stop the separation in your mind that in Christ you are together, in God you are together. He is also writing this, I think, in part to say that there is a missionary element that should be there in our lives. That the sons of Japheth are one, and the sons of Ham closer, and the sons of Shem, who have been given the good news of God's word, is supposed to share that good news with the distant nations. That all those who are going to be saved are not only going to be sons of Shem, they're going to also be sons of Japheth, even the distant people. That, as Jesus said in the Great Commission, all, that all authority has been given to me from heaven, that you are called to baptize those of all nations. And as you go out there and evangelize all nations, and as you share the good news with all nations, and you disciple all nations, you are spreading the blessing from the sons of Shem to the sons of Japheth and the sons of Ham, and like each one of us in this room. I don't know how many sons of Shem are in this room, but many of us are sons of Jabez, they're sons of Ham, that are Gentiles, as the Bible would say. And what God has done for you and me is that he has given us the beauty of the gospel, and he's included us in this incredible heritage that we do not deserve. And whether we are distant from him or we're oppressors and rebelling against him and rejecting him, God can redeem you and by opening your hearts and drawing you to faith in him. So this global vision of the church, that our church is so much broader than Warren County and Washington and Warren County in New Jersey. Our, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is global. Their Church of the Lord Jesus Christ today has Christians in every nation in the world, maybe not in every tribe, and maybe not in every tongue yet. But as the gospel continues to spread, the good news of the gospel is this. There are people around this nation and around this world, around this globe, that are worshiping, and they were one in Adam, one in Noah, one in Christ. One last thing I want you to consider is this. Not only are one, one in Adam and the fact that we are under our father Adam, sinners desperately needing salvation, salvation, and then after God's judgment, one in Noah, that Noah's kids get out of the boat and they sin. One in Christ, that's where your salvation comes from, but there's also the element of one in glory. Bauckham talks about this idea of the fact that when we get to heaven, you're not going to have Africans or, or Egyptians or Asian people or Hispanic people all over and sectioned off. We are going to be one and connected with one another. That's the beauty of this, of this passage. That I'm showing you how in my judgment, which we'll learn more about in chapter 11, I am dispersing the nations. I am sending them out under his divine power, but under his divine power as well, he's going to bring them back in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the beauty of this, of this message is the fact that we have this element of this common grace that God has shared with us. The common grace that God has given even to these people that have rejected him. Those that have gone to the remotest areas, those that are closest, those that are part of your family. They deserve nothing from God, but God has revealed. He says, I'm going to reveal to you what your family heritage is. And not only am I going to reveal your family heritage, I am going to reveal to you the blessing that I have given to you. And as you understand the blessings that I've been giving to you, I want you to be a blessing to others in this world. 
So the prosperity that people will fight for, the heavenly um, goodness is not comparable. Nimrod may have gone after kingdoms. Canaan may have gone for territories. But the reality is, is this. No matter what the earthly prosperity is, whatever the judgment is in this world, the reality is this, that God and his heavenly blessing is far more superior than anything that happens in this world. So I want you to consider this as we conclude. As you think about people around this world, there's one nation. There's one group of people. There's one race. There may be many ethnicities, but there's one race. We may look differently on the outside, but there's one race. We have a common ancestor. This is so important. We, the scriptures tell us that we have a common ancestor. In reality, scientifically, you and I are separated by very small amounts, 0.2% difference between all of us, and that's just genetics. We all share the same genes. We all share a tendency towards sin in our lives. And the implication is this, this is a big implication, that we should be celebrating the oneness that we have. There are Christians around this world that break people down into categories and separating them away from one another. And and the reality is that we should be people that we are not dividing people, but uniting people, united in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. If this chapter is true, there should be no racism in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if we really believe that we have come from three family members and that we're all connected and that there is no specific race, just different ethnicities, there should be no racism in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we think about that, we are one in Adam, one race. We're one in Noah. We are being preserved even through the judgment of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are one in Christ because Jesus Christ lived a life and died a death for us, but we are ultimately going to be one in glory. That there is going to be a time where all these divisions that we will learn more about in chapter 11, and the reason why they divided was because they rebelled against God. There's going to be a time where every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and you will be standing next to people that may look differently from you, may speak differently from you, but they're going to be family members with you. And if we can have that kind of mindset in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, that breaks any diversity, equity, and inclusive tendencies that the world is trying to deal with. See, our world today looks at the problems of separation and they are trying to figure out a way to help people. And so they come up with all of these policies. And I think the answer is this. One in Adam. One in Noah. One in Christ. One in glory. Would you pray with me? Father, as I, as I look at these names, and I butchered a number of them, I thank you for the fact that you know their names. And some of these people are, are rebellious people, and they have lived a life, and they, they are now in eternity and outside of you in hell. And they're suffering punishment because they rejected you. They oppressed other people. They rejected your authority and they're spending eternity outside of you. But these are real people, Lord, who lived real lives. And Father, some of the people that I've spoken about, some of the people groups have people that have trusted in you, trusted in your son, trusted in your word, trusted in their sin and their need for a savior, and they've turned to your son. I praise you for that. I thank you that as we look at a chapter like this, Father, with all the names, these are people. But I thank you for the fact that as I look at this, this is history. But it's your story, it's his story, your son's story. It, it leads us to your son's cross. It reminds us of the fact that we are separated because of sin, but we're brought together in Christ. And ultimately, Father, we look forward to a time where we get to go to heaven, where we will see every tribe, every tongue, every nation, they're honoring you. So today, Father, I pray that you would do a work in our hearts, 
if there is this tendency within us to look at other people that look differently from us or speak differently from us and we divide ourselves from them, Lord, challenge that in our hearts and our lives. Remind us that we are part of the same family. Remind us that we are desperately in need of salvation and help us to be a light, a missionary light to the world, to the sons of Japheth, to the sons of Ham. Let us be a missionary. And now to the sons of Shem, Father, those that are part of your Israelite heritage, Lord, many of them don't know your son today. So Lord, I pray that you would give us as Gentiles the opportunity to be able to share the good news of Messiah to them. And I pray that you would open their hearts so that they would bend their knee to you. And I pray that your gospel would spread across this world, across this globe. And I pray that you would be glorified in all we do. In Jesus' matchless, holy and powerful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you uh, join us in singing our closing song?
Thank you for this truth that you are the ancient of days, Lord. Uh, though the nations rage and kingdoms rise as fall, Lord, we see so much happening in the world around us, Lord. This, this song is just a, a great reminder uh, that you are absolutely in control of everything that is happening around us. We can trust you. We can rest in you. And uh, Father, I, I just thank you for everybody that made it here this morning safely. I pray that everybody would make it home safely. Um, just be with us this, uh, this Sunday. We get to enjoy the snow. And, uh, Father, I pray that if anybody needs help, that uh, they would find it <clears throat> uh, just dealing with the weather, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.